0: Good morning, church. Happy Easter. Easter. Oh, good. I was hoping you'd say it back to me. It's always one of those moments where you're like, are they going to say it back? Or this is Anna's. He is risen. risen Anna loves it. If you guys didn't know, that's okay. But um, uh, we started this journey four weeks ago, this long journey to the cross. And it's my pleasure and honor to bring you guys the final part in this journey. And if you've been with us since four weeks ago, you would know that this is a really hard journey to walk, where we actually talk about every single thing that Jesus went through up until the point on Good Friday where he was crucified on the very cross that he had to carry. And after he died, he was buried. And today I want us to talk about this burial before we talk about the resurrection. But before we jump into it, can we just pray together? Yeah. God, I just thank you so much. For what you did on the cross for us over 2,000 years ago and today, Lord, I pray that you would show us something new. I pray that you would breathe fresh inspiration, fresh revelation into every single heart that is here today. I pray for people that have heard the Easter story so many times that today they would draw something new out of it. God, I pray for people that are hearing the Easter story for the first time. God, I pray that they would see you in every single part of the story and they would want to be a part of your story. So Lord, would you speak to us on this Easter Sunday in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 27. If you brought your Bibles or your Bible app, you can follow along with me. I'm going to start in verse 57. It says, as evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph. Say Joseph who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and placed it in his own tomb that he had just cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Now there's a few things that I want us to observe about this burial moment before we move on to the resurrection because there's a few things that took place here that I don't want us to brush past and the first is that Jesus was crucified with brutal horror yet in this moment, he was buried with courageous honor. If you were here on Good Friday, you would have known or maybe you've heard the Easter story before that the crucifixion that Jesus endured was one of such brutality and horror. It was the worst possible way to die but in this moment, he was buried with courageous honor. Now how do we know that? Because he was buried in Joseph's tomb. Now Joseph was from Arimathea and he was a prominent member of the Sanhedrin. That means the tribal, the supreme council of the Jews. And he actually disagreed with the council's decision to condemn Christ in the first place. We read in John 19 38 that it says, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. So in this moment, after Jesus has been crucified, he insists that he wants the body because he wants to give Jesus an honorable burial. And he only has the, the family tomb that is quickly available, his very own. And so he offers up his own tomb so that Jesus could be buried there. And now for a member of the elite, a member of the Sanhedrin to actually request the body was very courageous because he's going against the very council that condemned Jesus in the first place to be crucified. So by requesting the body, if he wasn't at the request of the Sanhedrin, he could actually been, it could have been associated with Jesus's alleged treason. And oftentimes officials like to pin certain charges on members of the elite so they could confiscate their property. And so we know that Joseph was a secret disciple. But in this moment he had to step out of hiding and actually profess his love for Jesus in this moment to give him an honorable burial. He couldn't have saved Joseph from he couldn't have saved Jesus from the crucifixion, but in this moment he said, "But I could bury him with honor." And Jesus was crucified as the worst of sinners. The worst most excruciating painful delayed death, yet he was buried as the high priest and savior. And we know that because he was buried in white linen. Linen literally means white because of its brilliant whiteness of bleached linen. And it was a fabric of the wealthy. It was for the elites, the Israelites. It was a fabric of those who were part of the priesthood. And so the linen of the Israelites was so fine that the priest would often appear in this glittering white apparel. And Jesus is buried in the brilliant white which is actually reminiscent of his moment of transfiguration on the mountain. In his death, he is buried in the fabric of the high priest. So he's not buried, uh, in this other words, he's buried as who he truly is. He was recognized in this moment as the high priest. Jesus, when he was crucified, it was as if he were nothing. But in this moment that he's buried, it's as if he were everything he said he was, because he was given an honorable burial. Now, oftentimes Romans would leave the corpses of crucified people just out for wild animals and birds to scavenge because they were nothing. These were the lowest members of society. They didn't care about the bodies. But he knew because the Jews were the ones who actually requested that Jesus be crucified, he was going to grant the Jews the body so they could decide what they wanted to do with it. But even then, Jewish executions would normally lead to very dishonorable burials just in a public grave with other criminals. But in this moment, Jesus isn't buried in a public grave with other criminals. His body isn't left to be scavenged, but his body is taken down and placed into a new tomb carved into the rock. And there's this incredible devotion that Joseph lavishes upon his body to give him an honorable burial in this moment. Now, the reason I wanted to highlight this is because Jesus' burial is not reminiscent of the death that he died on Good Friday, but rather the way that he will rise on Easter Sunday. He's not buried in accordance with what was, but rather what will be. And before we move on, I just wanted to share this moment that that God spoke to me about when I was preparing this message because I was thinking about the, the courage and the loving tenderness that Joseph displayed in this moment. And I was reminded of another Joseph, the earthly dad to Jesus. See, he was a man, that's making me emotional. I was emotional when I wrote this too. But it was a man named Joseph who found the place of birth for Jesus. A humble manger, a stable where animals were kept. And if you think about that moment when, when Jesus first arrived earthside, it would have been Joseph's hands that caught the baby as Mary was giving birth. It probably would have been Joseph who wrapped little baby Jesus in swaddling clothes before placing him in the hands of his mother. And then I love that just God is so in the details. Because even though Joseph, his earthly dad, died somewhere along his adolescence or early adulthood because he's not referenced in any of his ministry years, nor is he present at the crucifixion. But then there's a man named Joseph from Arimathea who finds an honorable place for him to be buried. Joseph was the last person to hold the crucified king. Joseph was the one who wrapped this crucified king in this white linen before surrendering him into the tomb into the hands of his heavenly father. These were the two Josephs that honored both the arrival and the burial of Jesus. And the name Joseph means God will add. And I find it quite fitting that God used these men at the beginning and the end of Jesus's earthly ministry, his earthly life, but God would add another chapter. These two Josephs played their limited earthly roles, but God was about to add in the miraculous, which brings us to the resurrection, where I want to tell you about the two Marys, because the two Marys here are significant. Mary Magdalene and another woman named Mary, they observed the burial because they were literally sitting across the tomb when Joseph was burying him and rolled the stone over. They were there. They witnessed it. But they're also the first witnesses to the resurrection. Now, this is important for us to know on a number of points, because firstly, since they observed the burial, they were not likely to go to the wrong tomb. Now, people think that it's an influential argument to say they just went to the wrong tomb to prove against the resurrection. No, they didn't. They literally watched him be buried, and they're not going to forget where their Savior is buried when they come back on Resurrection Sunday. So they knew the exact tomb that he was in. But secondly, two Mary's Discovering the empty tomb actually gives incredible accuracy to the gospel account. Because the testimony of a woman in this day was of no legal value in ancient Jewish society. And had some early church writers simply invented this story, they would not have highlighted Mary's account in this story. They wouldn't have chosen the two Marys to highlight this account. So if they just invented this and they wanted people to believe it, they wouldn't have highlighted two Marys, two women, and believing their testimony. So these two women who witnessed the end of Jesus's life, the moment he died and was buried, they would also be the first to give witness to a new beginning as they set their eyes on the empty tomb. And as we reflect on this Easter Sunday, I want you guys to think about this question. What endings have you witnessed in the last year? What tomb have you watched the stone be rolled over? Where have you, like these two Marys, given witness to the end of something. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was a friendship. Maybe it was family harmony. Maybe it was a job. Maybe it was a career. Maybe it was the end of a dream or maybe the end of hope or after walking through an incredible valley, you're at the end of your faith or so you feel. But for the Marys and more broadly, for the followers of Jesus at this time, some things did need to die. Because one example is the Jewish understanding of what Messiah meant. Their understanding of who the Messiah was needed to die. Because Messiah just means anointed one. But for the contemporaries of Jewish culture, They had come to mean for them this military leader who was going to overthrow Roman oppression. And when you said Messiah to a Jew in this time, that's what they immediately thought. This great, powerful, strong leader who was going to liberate the Jews from the rule of another empire and establish a new kingdom. And this is why Jesus actually resisted this title during his earthly ministry. And he only embraced it after the resurrection. Why? Because he had a chance to redefine it. He had an opportunity to redefine it. And sometimes in the process of us witnessing the end of something, what we need to let go of is our understanding and expectation of who God is and who he has called us to be and what he's going to do. See, when Jesus rose again, the old expectation of the Messiah is actually what needed to stay in the tomb. They needed to understand who Jesus truly was. And as you think about the ending that you've witnessed, have you considered why God might have allowed that stone to be rolled over? Now, hear me when I say this. I'm not saying he's the one who brought the ending, but perhaps he allowed the ending so you could become a witness to a new beginning. Perhaps he set you up for a new beginning. What expectations and understandings that you previously held on to actually need to stay buried in the tomb? What needs to die so you could witness resurrection life today? See, if you at all resonate with the two Marys in this story, then I want us to lean into a few things that we can embrace on this Easter Sunday. Now remember, when Joseph, whose name means God will add, rolled the stone over the grave, there was actually more to the story than that supposed ending. God was about to add a new beginning. And here's the thing that you need to know on Easter Sunday is you have a resurrection to witness. You have a resurrection to witness. I'm in chapter 28 now, starting in verse 1. It says, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Now these women who witnessed the stone being rolled over for Jesus's burial were the first to be the witness of the angel of the Lord rolling the stone back to reveal an empty tomb. They were the first to witness the resurrection that Jesus had promised them. They saw the tragic death of the one they loved, but they also witnessed the overwhelming joy of new life. And as you think about your own story and the own season that you're in right now, what son or daughter do you need to see come home to God? Because maybe you witness their tragic downfall and their spiral into darkness, but perhaps you're also supposed to witness their new life and their coming home story. See, what dream do you need to see come alive again? Maybe you thought that stone was rolled over your dream, but, but what dream do you need to see come alive again? What promise in your life needs to be resurrected? What deliverance needs to be manifested? What healing needs to be released? What waters need to part for you? What addiction needs to be overcome? What curse needs to be broken? What provision needs to come? What stone needs to be rolled back in your life so you could see an empty tomb and new life today? because believers are meant to give witness to a resurrection. We're meant to become witnesses to see sinners coming home from people that were just so stuck in darkness coming back into light because we serve the God of the empty tomb. So my friends, I want you, guys, you to ask yourself this question. Where in your life are you expecting to find an empty tomb? Where are you expecting to find that miracle? Where are you expecting to find that resurrection life? What are you willing to let die so that God could bring a new life for you today? And here's the thing, the new life might not look like the old life because there's some things that we need to leave in the tomb. The new job might not look like the old one. The new dream might not look like the old one. The new relationship might not look like the old one. The new friendships might not look like the old one. The new career might not look like the old one. The new you should not look like the old you because there's parts of us that are meant to stay in the tomb when we rise into new life with Christ as well. We are meant to give witness to a resurrection and a new beginning. And that leads us to understand and embrace that we have a message to proclaim. You've got a message to proclaim. Verse 6 and 7, the angel of the Lord is speaking to the two Marys and says, He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell the disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. The women, they're entrusted with this message to proclaim, and as witnesses to resurrection, all of you are entrusted with a message to proclaim, and that which we witness, we must herald, we must champion, because good news is news too good not to share. We are all called to share the gospel. We must make it known, because the thing is, is that when you truly understand what Jesus has done for you on the cross, then you start to talk differently You start to walk differently. See, you praise and worship God differently when you actually know what he went through, that sacrificial love of the crucifixion and the miraculous victory of the resurrection. When you truly embrace that and understand that, it's going to impact you and change you. The thing is, is when you look at your life and the messages that you're sharing with the people in your life, the messages that you share with your family, with your friends, with your followers on social media, when they look at you, do they think you're more passionate about essential oils and how they changed your life or about how Jesus has changed your life? Like we just need to check our priorities. Do people know you love Jesus or do they know you love the gym? Do people know you love Jesus or do they know you love coffee? Do they know you love Jesus or do they know you love politics? Look, we've got a message to proclaim. We've got a gospel message, the good news to share. And every single believer is entrusted with this message. And you have expectations to overturn. You have expectations to overturn. Now notice that the first people to witness the resurrection and be entrusted with the message to preach after the resurrection of Jesus are two women. Now, scholars believe that this is a fairly compelling argument to allow female preachers in the pulpit. Dr. William Lane Craig from Talbot School of Theology said, uh, he said, certainly these women were friends of Jesus, but when you understand the role of women In first century Jewish society, what's really extraordinary is that this empty tomb story should feature women as the discoverers of the empty tomb in the first place. Women were on a very low rung of the social ladder in first century Palestine. There are old rabbinical sayings that say, let the words of the law be burned rather than delivered to women. And blessed is he whose children are male, but woe to them whose children are female. Women's testimony was regarded as so worthless that they weren't even allowed to serve as legal witnesses in a Jewish court of law. And so who does Jesus choose? The two most unlikely candidates to witness the resurrection. He chooses two women to actually witness the empty tomb because he wants to overturn cultural expectations in that day. Jesus is always using unlikely people to share his story, to partner with, to expand the gospel message across the world. And it's because we have witnessed a resurrection and he entrusts us with his message to to proclaim. And as believers, we are called to overturn expectations. Look, as a graduate from Harvard University, which is quickly becoming one of the most liberal institutions in the world, don't get me started, it was unlikely that I was gonna become a conservative Christian pastor. I was an unlikely candidate, but God chose me and he entrusted me with a message to proclaim. And so I am compelled to, to share this message and overturn expectations of what I'm supposed to do and what I'm supposed to share based on my education. Look, Frosty is the son of an atheist and he was in a family of non-Christians. And, but he was an unlikely candidate to be one to become a Christian pastor. But he witnessed a resurrection in his own life. And because he did, he was entrusted with a message to proclaim. And so he was an unlikely candidate, but God wanted to use him not based on the generations that came before him or the family that surrounded him. And the thing is, is you might be in a family of atheists like Frosty was, or you might be in the battlefield of a liberal classroom like I was. You might have a criminal record. You might not know how to actually read the Bible. You might've been raised in another religion entirely. You might've lived a past life that you feel like you could never run away from, and there's past mistakes that haunt you, but you, my friend, are an unlikely candidate, and that's Jesus's favorite kind. And God is hoping to use you to carry his message to people around the world and overturn expectations of how your life should have turned out simply because of the generational struggles that came before you or the worldviews that surround you. As believers, we have expectations to overturn. And when the world thinks that we should be divided, we need to stay united. When the world thinks we should be overwhelmed, we should stay peaceful. When the world says we should lose hope, we should hold on to hope. When the world thinks that the church is declining, that's when we advance. Because we are witnesses to resurrection. We've got a message to proclaim and expectations to overturn. It is simply who we are. Keys can come join me now. But the final thing you need to know about this story is that you have worship to bring. You have worship to bring. Verse 8 and 9 says, The women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples, and suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. Love that. Jesus has just appeared in New Life from Resurrection, and these two women are running back to tell the disciples, and Jesus is like, greetings. Here I am. But Jesus appears there, and their response was they fell to their knees, they clasped his feet, and they worshiped him. See, witnesses to resurrection, they have joy in their hearts. They have a song in their mouths. And our response to his resurrection should be worship. The kind of worship that brings us to our knees in humility before our resurrected king. It should be the kind of worship that brings those happy tears to our eyes where we're so overcome and so overwhelmed that we don't know how else to respond. It should be the kind of worship that makes us drop in awe of his victory on the cross because he did everything he said he would do. He went to the cross for you. He conquered sin and the grave for you. He made a way for you. And before he ascended into heaven, he gave a message to you and to me. And these parting words from Jesus are referred to as the Great Commission. In chapter 28, verse 16 to 20, it says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Today I wanna finish this message with an opportunity for you to truly reflect on what the cross means to you, on what the great commission means to you because this is the final part in our journey to the cross but it's not the end, it is simply the beginning. He bore our isolation so that we would never be alone. He bore our condemnation so that we could be forgiven. He died the death of a slave so that we could find freedom and he drank from the cup of death so that we could have everlasting life. And there's this beautiful song I wanna play for you called The Commission by a band named Cain and I invite you to truly listen to these words and reflect on what it means for you. Because we've gone on this journey to the cross and we've found an empty tomb, he has risen. So how will you respond to that resurrection and the empty tomb today? As a believer, you have been commissioned to share this good news. After this song, I'll come back and pray. you have been commissioned to go tell the world about him this is not the end this is just the beginning of resurrection life for you